on and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. After they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign, evident to all who live in Jerusalem, has been done through them, and we cannot deny it. However, so this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. Talking about the name of Jesus. So they called for them and ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whenever it's right, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us. We ask, God, that you would help us to know how we can apply it to our hearts and our lives. Lord, that we may learn from this story. Lord, know that it's more than just a story in the pages of a book. It's something that you had for us to, to read and to learn from and apply to our hearts and our lives. Lord, that we might have a bold witness for you. And I pray, God, that you would, just for a few moments this morning as we pray often, Lord, Help us to set aside some of the cares and the concerns that we're all facing. Lord, help us to set aside some of the things that would distract us from what we're gonna, what's going to take place later. To concentrate on what you have for us this morning. And I pray, God, that you'd speak to our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, seven points I want to bring out to our attention this morning. And uh, seven observations, if you will. And the first one I want us to notice this morning is... In verse 13, there is an observed boldness. It says, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, first one is observed boldness. Peter and John stood before rulers, scribes, elders, temple police, the Sadducees, the high priests, and the Sanhedrin, and spoke with a holy boldness and confronted them concerning their actions against Jesus Christ. You think, where does a boldness like that come from? Uh, I think about it just for a moment. This Sanhedrin council, this was not just a couple of people here. In our minds, we can say, well, hey, there's a handful of people here that confronted him. But when you think about it, the Sanhedrin alone consisted of 70 people. Uh, 70 members, mostly Sadducees from high priestly families. Some of them were Pharisees. They were typically men of clout in the community, and their opinions carried weight in the eyes of the people of that community. So when you think about it, it wasn't just Peter and John standing before, you know, six, eight, ten people. They were standing before probably a hundred people or more. And having to give an account for their actions. And the thing that comes to my mind is, wow, how would you and I do before that group? I mean, we're talking in a day and age where there was authority and, and clout with their opinions. And uh, it's kind of the idea that, hey, we can make things really, really difficult for you. But God gave them a holy boldness to stand before them and proclaim who Jesus Christ was. And not only that, as we go back to verse 12, it says there is salvation in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So this boldness came as they were able to proclaim who Jesus was and what Jesus had to offer. That's the first observation. The second observation is this. Observed wisdom. And this is an amazing point that all of us need to consider. First of all, it says there in verse 13, it says, they realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. As I began to read through that and study that out, it was kind of interesting how some commentaries said, well, they're just illiterate. But that's not the idea, as I, can, as I learned as I continued in the study. Is the idea of uneducated is really concerned the rabbinical culture. They weren't of a priestly line, in other words. When you think about it, they were standing before the Sanhedrin, who are Pharisees, Sadducees, other highly priest, or high priestly uh, family members, so forth. There was a cloud amongst them that, well, we're of the priestly line. We are religious and you are not. And it's this whole idea that, you know, you're, you're not part of us. Where do you get off talking and you're not part of us? So they were not part of a rabbinical uh, culture that they were expecting. So they were uneducated. And then secondly, untrained is the idea that they were not classically or formally trained in the Jewish law. They held no public or professional position. They were just, if you will, quote-unquote, common men. Uh, they had no credentials, so to speak. But this is the amazing thing about it. They observed wisdom coming from them. And in their minds, how can this be? If they are uneducated and they are untrained, how is it that they speak with boldness here? How is it that they speak of wisdom when they're not part of our group? They're not been trained like we have been trained. There is observed wisdom here. But it comes from the third point. And what they observed. They observed that they had been with Jesus. You see, they realized that these men were not classically, formerly trained, yet somehow they knew. Somehow they knew the law. And it's probably from their time where Jesus discipled them and mentored them and walked with them and taught them and invested in them. It gave them the ability to speak with authority and with wisdom as they were out and about in the society in which they lived. And I think that's really an important part for us to consider. Um, I put on my Facebook, I don't really post often. Those of you that are friends with me on Facebook, you see I don't post a whole lot. But I snapped a picture of this in my Bible when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Wouldn't that be an incredible testimony? Wouldn't that be an incredible reputation for others to know us and to say, they had, he's been with Jesus. She's been with Jesus. That family walks with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I fail at that far too often. I know my own life, and I feel like the Apostle Paul so often, I know... <laughs> I know who sinners are, and I'm the chiefest amongst them. And the bottom line is, we need to be with Jesus. If our testimony is going to be real, one of my friends who's an evangelist for several years said, you either have a testimony or you're a testifonia. Which is true in our own lives. Are you real or are you fake? And the bottom line is, if people are going to know that we've been with Jesus, it's only going to come from one reason because we've been with Jesus. And there's only one way to do that, and it's right here. And we take shortcuts, do we not? 
Let's be honest just for a moment. As we look at these observations, I want you to answer this in your own heart because God knows the truth. How much have you been with Jesus this week? Because I know that when I'm with Jesus, things go pretty good. Not perfect, not flawless, not without mistakes. But when I put it aside to get things done and get my busyness, that's when Satan steps in. Anybody else relate? Let's be honest. How much have you been with Jesus this week? It was observed that they had been with Jesus. Wouldn't that be a great testimony, reputation to have in our own lives? And because of their time with Jesus, because they were like sponges absorbing what Jesus had to say, they were able to speak the truth with power, with boldness. There's a fourth observation here. There is observed fear and silence. Fear and silence. Look at verse 14. It says, and since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. I mean, here they are. They're standing before them. They can't stand the fact that Peter and John are, are preaching with boldness, but they cannot deny the fact that the man that had been healed was standing right there in their presence. And they stood there in awe and amazement, and they could say nothing in response to it. There was no way that they could calculate in their minds an explanation for what had taken place. Remember, this happened at the beginning of the early, or at the early part of the be, of, of chapter three, and, and it's still the talk of the town. It's still the buzz, and ever and, and this Sanhedrin council and these high priests—they're still upset about this. It's the buzz, but it's not going away. So what do they do? Look at verse seventeen. Actually, verse 16, saying, What should we do to these men for an obvious sign evident to all who live in Jerusalem has been done through them, and we cannot deny it? So what do we do about it? However, so this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So there is observed fear and silence. We can't let this message keep going on, but we can't really punish them either. So what do we do? So they tried to stop the news from spreading. Secondly, they tried to silence Peter and John. Look at verse 18. So they called for them and ordered them not to preach and teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then number three, they tried to threaten Peter and John again in verse 21. It says, after threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. There was a fear that this message was going to go on. And so we try to silence them from getting the word out and letting people know the truth about who Jesus is. Here's the deal. When people don't like something that is said, they want to shut you up. Isn't that true? We talked about that for just a few minutes in Sunday school this morning. When people don't like what you have to say, well, you're just a bigot. You're a racist. You're a hater. Because I don't agree with what you're saying. Never mind that you don't like what I'm saying, but I, I don't like what you're saying, so you're a hater. You know, when people don't like what is said, they want to stifle it. They want to shut it up. They want to silence it. And that's exactly what was taking place. Why? Because we are of a high priestly line. We have clout. We have position in this community. And everybody takes what we say as 
you know, the truth. So therefore, we don't want to lose our position. We don't want to lose our authority. We don't want to lose our clout. So we're going to shut him up so that they can't go against us. There's observed fear and silence. And here's the deal. The miracle could not be denied. Look at verse 14. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them. Look at verse uh, uh, 21 and 22. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For the sign of the healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. What does that tell us? A man who was 40 years old had been observed in his physical limitations day after day after day after day after week after week after month after month after year after year. He was probably a staple in that town. Everybody had seen him day after day. And everybody knew who he was. By their own admission, for 40 years he'd been this way. And now he's standing there in front of us. What can we do about that? We can't deny it. They didn't like it. There's a fifth point here. There is observed commitment to continue speaking on the part of Peter and John. Observed commitment to continue speaking. Look at verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. <laughs> for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. There is an observed commitment to continue speaking. I don't really care that you don't like what I'm, not, what I'm saying, in other words. The bottom line is, I'm speaking the truth, I'm speaking in the name of Jesus, and we don't care if you don't like it. We are unable to stop. You know, this is amazing, because as I'm reading through the book of Acts, I'm, I'm getting a new appreciation for who Peter was. I mean, we read about what he's done. I mean, he was the one that lopped the, you know, the priest's ear off, and, uh, and you know, he's, he's the one that's quick to, to act without really thinking. And all of a sudden, he comes into the book of Acts, and this guy's got a holy boldness that he doesn't care what anyone thinks. And then you come over to Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Look at this. This is really cool. But Peter and the apostles repelled, replied, we must obey God rather than men. I mean, he has got a holy boldness, a renewed commitment to continue speaking regardless of what they may think or say. I love it. When God works in our lives and empowers us, it gives us a boldness to speak the truth. God's Word tells us in Timothy, He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. There ought to be a boldness in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as we read earlier. After this, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witness, and you shall receive power. We have the ability to do what God has called us to do. It comes down to a lot of times, so often, to our obedience. And though they threatened him and said, don't do it. He says, how can we not do it? He says, we would rather obey God than man. Found when God works in our heart. He emboldens us. Like Elihu in 
Job chapter 32, verse 18, says, For I am too full of words, and my spirit compels me to speak. That was Peter. He says, I'm just too, I've got too much to say just to shut up. Like Jeremiah, in fact, if you would keep your finger there and turn back to the book of Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, in chapter 20, specifically verse 9, but I don't want to read verses 7 through 13. Verse 7 says, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You seized me and prevailed. I'm a laughingstock all the time. Everyone ridicules me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I proclaim violence and destruction because the word of the Lord has become of me a constant disgrace and derision. You know, here he is. He's upset because all the people that he's proclaiming to don't really like what he's saying. They're making fun of him. But here's what he says, verse 9. If I say I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name, his message becomes a fire burning in my heart. And I cannot prevail. He says, this is a fire that's burning within me. It's got to come out if I don't say it. It's going to burn me up. Isn't that awesome? He goes on, I've heard the gossip of many people. Terrors on every side. Report him. Let's report him. Everyone I trusted watches for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived so that we might prevail against him and take our vengeance on him. But the Lord is with me like a violent warrior. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Since they have not succeeded, they will be utterly shamed in everlasting humiliation that will never be forgotten. Do you really want to go against what the Lord's messenger has to say? I don't think so. Lord of hosts, testing the righteous and seeing the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have presented my case to you. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for he rescues me uh, uh, the life of the needy from the hand of evil people. He says, when I don't speak, it's like a fire inside me. It's just burning and consuming. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, we seek to persuade men. How is that done? Through our voice. And Peter is emboldened by the Holy Spirit's work in his life. And he says, whether it's right to obey you or God, you decide, but I am unable to stop speaking. There's a sixth point here. Observed praise and prayer to God. You find this in verses 23 and 24. So for a while there, they come before the Sanhedrin and all the high priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple police, and they plead their case, and he sends them out. They confer amongst themselves, what are we going to do with them? We're going to threaten them, we're going to challenge them not to say another word. They bring them back in, and they confront them again with boldness. Verse 23, after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they all raised their voices to God and said, listen, here's a problem. They've been threatened. They've been re-threatened. They've been told to shut up. They said they weren't going to shut up. And they go back and tell everybody, and everyone says, let's just bring it to God. Let's just bring it to God. He's in control anyway, right? Let's just bring it to Him. Question. When somebody does something contrary to what you want, what you hope for, what you want to do in your life, how do you respond to that? I think in our culture what we do is, yeah, you would not believe what so-and-so said to me the other day. Can you believe they have the right, they have the audacity, the gold even thing. We get on the phone and we start griping. Or, <laughs> some people, Facebook click, 
so-and-so, and they get on Facebook and they air all their dirty laundry for the world and God to see. From the example here, what should we do? They've been threatened. They've been re-threatened. After they were released, they went to their own people, reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they all raised their voices to God. There was an observed prayer and praise to God. It says, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. <laughs> God, you made everything, including these people. So you take care of them. We just want boldness to keep going forward. And you notice what he says here? Let me look at this verse again. Verse 29. And now, Lord... Consider their threats and grant that your, what's the word? Slaves, servants. <laughs> Lord, grant that your slaves would be able to go forward in boldness. They considered themselves slaves. I know in some of your translations they say servants. It's the word slave. It's doulos. Greek word doulos. They consider themselves to be slaves. Voluntary slaves. Messengers of the gospel. You know what's interesting about a slave? A slave has no rights. You ever thought about that? A slave doesn't get to set his own agenda. A slave doesn't have too many choices. A slave does what he's told to do. And as they were praying out to God, grant your slaves that they may speak with boldness. Because that's what God had challenged them to do. So what do we see here? They raised their voices. And here's the amazing thing. It's really easy to go with the flow when everybody's going that way. Isn't it? There's no opposition when we're all going that direction as we just blend in with what the world's doing. It's just kind of just join in. But when you want to start going against the crowd, one person against a multitude is pretty difficult, right? But if a bunch of us are doing it together, we can make way. And that's what they were doing. They joined together to lift their voices to God. You know what's going to take in this world to make a difference? All of us joining together, going the direction God wants us to go, oftentimes in opposition to what the world wants. It says they lifted their voices together. Not only that, they not only 
lifted their voices, they remembered God's power. That's awesome. Over and over. This is verse 29. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. While you stretch out your hands for healing, signs and wonders to be performed through the name of the Holy Servant Jesus. They went forward and they praised God. I mean, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things and the kings of the earth took their stand? Look, we're going against the world. You've done it before, you can do it again. It leads us to the seventh point, the final point, observed presence of the Holy Spirit. I say, well, how do I know that's the point? That's the fact. Look at verse 31. It says, and when they had prayed, two things happened. First of all, the place where they were assembled was shaken. Now, we only see a couple times in Scripture where it says the place was shaken. Remember what happened in Isaiah? When about the holy temple is filled with the smoke and the place was shaken. You know, it's this idea that when the Holy Spirit shows up and his presence is known, he lets them know he's there. I don't know how we quite respond if this place starts shaking today. I mean, maybe the walls fall, I don't know. We'd probably freak out. But in this situation, it was a, it was a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the place was shaken. There was an obvious presence of the Holy Spirit there. And not only that, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, there's also, according to verse 31, they began to speak God's message with boldness. The presence of the Holy Spirit gave them a boldness to speak on God's behalf. If we're going to have boldness in the world that we live in, if we're going to go forward in, in obedience to God, we're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. If we want boldness, we're going to have the help, of the, the help of the Holy Spirit to be filling us, to walk you with us. Everything we need is found in Him. So as we look at these points, observed boldness, observed wisdom, observed presence with Jesus, observed fear and silence, observed commitment to continue speaking, observed praise and prayer to God, and observed presence of the Holy Spirit. There are several of these observations from the story that all of us would be appropriate to consider. But the one observation that stands out among all of them is that Peter and John had been with Jesus. There is no substitute for that. We can all fill our day with whatever is important to us. But apart from spending time with Jesus, we'll have no effect. You agree? Apart from spending time with Jesus, we'll have no effect. I don't want to just go through this world existing. I don't want to just wake up in the morning, do our thing, and then go to bed at night and say, well, that's another day in the records. Another day in history. Oh, well, tomorrow's a new one. If we are going to accomplish anything that is worthwhile, we're going to have to spend time with Jesus. Because if that one is not true, the rest of them doesn't, don't matter. Really, they don't matter. You've got to spend time with Jesus. Because that's what's going to give us the boldness and the power and the will to obey what God has for us. And when that happens, we'll be like Elihu who says, I'm too full of words and my spirit compels me to speak. 
will be like Jeremiah who says, that when I don't speak, there's a fire burning in within me and consuming me. We'll be like Paul in 2 Corinthians where he says, Do we, we, we seek to persuade men because that's what's most important. We'll be like Peter in Acts 5.29. I, I have to obey God rather than man. Without spending time with Jesus, none of it will happen. There's no shortcuts. My challenge this morning is this. Have you been with Jesus? Are you spending time with Jesus? If not, we're wasting our days. And it's so easy to go through each day without spending any time with him. Would you agree? It's really easy. Just wake up, do what you want to do. Next thing you know, it's time for bed. Oh, wait a minute, I haven't prayed yet today. Dear Lord Jesus, there is no greater sleep medicine than praying before you go to bed. Anybody agree? I'm just telling you. It is the best sleep medicine around there. And it's free. So if you don't want to communicate with Jesus, just pray before you go to bed. Take 30 seconds and fall asleep. Otherwise, it's going to have to be something we do on purpose. A plan. To spend time with Jesus. And I believe that as we do that, we will have the boldness. We will have the wisdom. We'll be able, to be able to fear and silence our critics. We'll be able to continue speaking. We'll be able to bring praise and prayer to God. And we'll observe the effects of that by what the Holy Spirit does in and through us.